Today we have Dave Mabella here. Shaw TV, CKXU FM Radio 88.3, and other media for coverage of SOCPA events. We want to thank Country Kitchen Catering for their friendly service and for the University of Lethbridge for support. We want to welcome you back now. Next week's topic will be Palestine and Israel. How is peace possible? And our speaker is Debbie Hubbard. <clears throat> I just want to remind you that there is a, a um, there is a suggestion box in the lobby for ideas and comments. And you can also go to our website, www.sakpa.ca. Um, you can also find past sessions on there that can be heard on audio, such as a podcast. And there's a session survey and comment blog also. Okay, again, our topic today is inquiring into increasing suicide rates in Alberta. And our speakers are Mackenzie Becker and Adam Greaves. And we invite you now to ask questions. I'll remind you, please state your name. Uh, keep, your, keep your comments brief and uh, state your question. Okay, let's welcome our presenters. My name is Tad Bitsui, and thank you very much for your presentation. I, 40 years ago, I lived uh, in a small country in Africa, a population one million. I never heard of a suicide. Very poor country, community-minded, and I just wondered, the phenomenon of a suicide is the result of individualism rather than communalism. Um, I don't know if you could say that it's the result, but I think one of, one of the factors leading to the sense of hopelessness might be the social isolation that comes with individualism. So it might not be completely to blame, but it could be a factor, you know, the increasing isolation that people might feel versus a collectivist culture. Does that help answer what you were wondering? Yeah. Thank you for the question. It's a good one. Okay, my name is Mark Gettle. I wonder if there are any statistics that show what proportion of suicides were people under psychiatric or medical uh, care or intervention at the time versus the proportion of people that just committed su suicide out of the blue. Okay, well, I'm really glad you brought it up. One of the slides we didn't really have a, a chance to get to really indicates that depression is well, it causes, causes suicide. It's very high risk. So what we have found is many people are under care, but not all people. But the majority of individuals who suicide do con connect with the healthcare system at some point within the year of committing suicide. So definitely higher rates with depression, definitely higher rates, anxiety, schizophrenia, and a lot of mental health issues will compound it, definitely. Maria Fitzpatrick, 
And I actually have two questions, and I'll give you both of them, and then you can answer in whichever order. Uh, if we expect that the current economic crisis uh, will lead to higher rates in two years, do you have any thoughts on what we can do to um, either prevent or certainly to uh, try to minimize what happens? And the second question is, you talked about higher rates of suicide in older men. Any thoughts about why? Um, in terms of prevention, there are a couple strategies. So we talked a little bit about on an individual level. Um, but we didn't really talk about a subpopulation or a population level. So this, this may or may not speak to economic downturns. It's hard to say. Um, but it could be a, a contributing factor. Um, some of those pre prevention strategies include um, knowing what methods are most commonly used for suicide in a particular area. So in knowing that, uh, utilizing prevention strategies to reduce the access to those means might help. Um, Responsible reporting by the media, so uh, reduction of stigma and secrecy. Um, things like that might definitely help with, with prevention strategies. And as I'd said before, on a national scale, a really collaborative effort to try and get a lot more resources involved and on the same page. And then, yeah. And kind of going back to that idea that a lot of people who suicide, they have connected with the healthcare system. So an important feature then is that we see this as a social issue and not just a health issue, that really everyone needs to be discussing this. We need to be removing the stigma, the taboo of discussion of suicide, depression, mental health, and allowing this to be common knowledge in society so that we can all work together. Because the healthcare system in itself isn't able to provide that 24-7 care that might prevent some of the cases. Then on the second point of uh, why do older men commit suicide, we were discussing this at lunch, and I really like some of the ideas we talked about, but um, I kind of think about the roles of identity, well, identity roles, and a lot of males associate themselves and their identity with what they do for a living. So, you know, any given day, if you go to a, a party and you meet someone, you shake hands and you say, what do you do? So when that piece is over in life, when you've retired, who are you? And, and perhaps that has a significant feature. When there's a lot of loss about who I am, what's my role, and in this individualistically oriented society, where do you fit? So I could see it from that point of view. Um, my name is Van Christou. Uh, thank you very much for bringing up this fascinating topic and important uh, sociological topic uh, today. As I look around the room, I see enough white hair that uh, there's quite a few of us here who have lived through probably the most rapid change uh, to society that this world has ever experienced. Um, as a young man here in Lethbridge, 80% of the people in this province were rural people and 20% in cities. Today, it's exactly the opposite. 80% in cities, 20% rural. That's enormous change in, in one person's lifetime. And with that rep rapidity of change, uh, my question is based on, do you not think that areas where we have 
more fundamental, more fundamentalist thinking, uh, fundamentalist religions, that there is greater stress on young people uh, with such rapid change occurring. <laughs> well, I really like your question. <laughs> so, would that cause stress? I think it's. I think it's both. I think people who are members of a fundamental belief system instantly have a built-in community that goes with that, and that's an, that's a support. Plus, further beliefs, any kind of belief that allows that that well sustaining of life indefinitely, is quite supportive. A lot of people really enjoy having that third party to reference, you know, a, a god of some sort, and that that can be a real piece of comfort for people. So. On the one hand, I think it's a protective factor. On the other hand, very challenging because modern society, access to information, all of these factors do challenge fundamental belief systems. And I agree, hyperculture is incredibly difficult to adjust to and to keep up with. And I think that in itself will cause enough stress. Thank you for the presentation, it's fantastic. My name is Joseph Natuk. I uh, had a uh, family member or brother-in-law, for example, that committed suicide after a wonderful, wonderful career with the military, and he retired, and he was just having a great, everything was there for him. And all of a sudden, he pulled a plug on us. So is there any kind of a indication why this may happen? Because, you know, I mean, every, everything was there. He had zero reason for doing what he did. And it really shocked you know, the family, and you know, so is there? Is there? Do you have an opinion or suggestion or observation? Thank you. Yeah. So as we said, having some sort of stressor may may increase your chances. So it's a possibility that a change in career could have something to do with it, um, particularly retirement, if that was the case. Uh, there's there's also the potential for post-traumatic stress, um, not saying that it occurs for everybody in the military, but it can. Um, and so in terms of that, that may or may not be a factor. In addition, um, like Adam said, a lot of males in particular really relate to what they do. And so if, for instance, he, he retired or there was a change in career or anything like that, the change doesn't necessarily have to be a negative one or a crisis. To, to upset someone's whole world and potentially lead to compounding factors like we showed with the jug. Um, it's hard to say without, without knowing everything. Those could be some, some reasons. Um, there are some resources for, I believe specifically for veterans or, or first responders, and it was on the resource list that we provided. So. If you go to suicideinfo.ca and go to their resource toolkits, they have all sorts of uh, PDFs for specific populations. So there might be some more information there as well. Uh, my name is Peter Beal, and uh, I, I just would like you to address something like the youth suicide rate due to bullying and things like that. Uh, don't you feel that uh, the, what do you call it, the the political correctness built up in our society have put people into 
a cocoon where all of a sudden, you know, the slightest problem put, destroys them always and leads them to a suicide. Where I'm thinking when I was a young person, you know, there was no political correctness. Everything was said and you just had to tough enough to live through it. And I'm thinking you know, people now don't have that because they're always so hot by our society. Do you want to address that? Okay, another good question. So youth suicide and bullying, I think bullying is a major factor, but how is it different? Because youth today experience bullying in a... In a extremely different method it's pervasive it's 24 hours a day it's instant accessible and you could say it's practically crowdfunded so that means that people will use media like facebook to intimidate threat insult continually put someone down and for a young person that can be their whole world and while they're developing it's very challenging to be attacked on a self-esteem level persistently and to feel that it's unescapable so is it about us being softer as a culture? Uh, I, I would hesitate to say it's so because I, I think even the, the instantaneous access to media that any youth has these days, they're able to access images of war, sex, death, anything instantly. So they're actually exposed to a massive, massive amount of information. And they're quite resilient, I'd say. But I think the style of bullying is, is much more intense than it ever was. And also the major difference, I think, with social media is the anonymity that it affords. And so if you're bullying someone face-to-face, -face, it might be slightly more difficult to say all of the cruel, cruel things you could say as an anonymous commenter on Facebook, for instance, or under a fake profile. So that could also play into it as well. My name is Alan Story. I have an, an observation first. The human animal is such a complex being, we can place people in such hostile environments that would cause major depressions, and they go to utter lengths to sustain their own lives. And yet we see the opposite in our daily life when suicides have become prevalent. The other comment I have is when suicide obliquely affected my life, it was a person who had been under major depression for over a year, and suddenly came out of it and was a happy person. And the family thought, my goodness, we're, we've reached the end of it. Within a week, he had committed suicide. I think this should be noted as a definite sign of on in, incoming suicide. Thank you for your comments. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, when we say mood change, that can even be what we'd consider to be a positive mood change as a major risk factor. So. Often when people have decided to kill themselves, it's, it's a source of comfort. There's relief, there's, there's a final decision there. And then their mood improves, their energy levels improve, and you'll see often other signs, giving away personal possessions, saying goodbye subtly. So yeah, when someone suddenly turns around dramatically, warning sign, not necessarily a good thing. My name is Mary Shell. Oh, sorry, you have something else. Just a quick addition to that. If someone um, goes on medication after being depressed for quite a while, uh, it can also be a trying time as their body adjusts to the medication. Not for everybody, but for some, it might increase their mood to a point where they have the energy to make a plan. 
Um, and so with depression comes lethargy generally. And so uh, getting on medication and experiencing those quick changes in the first couple weeks can also be a bit of a warning sign or a time to be really mindful as well. So. Uh, my name is Mary Shillington. I am a retired clinical social worker and worked for years with suicide bereavement and so on at, at Lethbridge Family Services. Uh, a brief story about, a per we're sometimes surprised at how resilient people are. I remember a man I worked with who, who had attempted suicide a few times, uh, not really seriously, but one, th this one time he, he went to the hospital, wasn't accepted, at mental, uh, in uh, emergency. So he went to a park uh, and sat by the lake with intentions to drown himself. So he sat on this bench and thought about uh, committing suicide and eventually he, he took all night and eventually he said, you know, why am I here? I hate water. I'm not going to go into the water anyway, so I'm not going to kill myself. And, and what it was a change for him. Uh, he was dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, and, and it was a change for him to suddenly realize, hey, I can be resilient, and, and I can go on and do something different. So have you had those kind of experiences with some of your clients? Yeah, certainly. It's one of the privileges of getting to do social work and, and working as a mental health therapist is you get people's personal stories, and part of that means I won't really share them today out of respect for the individuals. But yes, I find that we make significant differences in people's lives. They also make significant differences in their lives. It's, it's hard to know which influence is the one that saves a life, but people have massive potential. Even like you mentioned, post-traumatic stress disorder. I like thinking about post-traumatic growth because people do grow after trauma as well. Uh, thank you for your presentation, it was well done. Uh, my name is Bob Campbell, and for a number of years I worked in uh, mental health services and in particular in suicide prevention. One time Alberta was a leader in suicide prevention. We had a provincial suicidologist, actually from Lethbridge, Dr. Menno Bolt, uh, and uh, very high profile to the whole area of suicide prevention. Then it, uh, the prevention aspect seemed to get uh, passed around and, and I noted on one of your stats you cited uh, the Injury Prevention Center because I know at one point it was transferred over to injury prevention and uh, those of us in the mental health field were quite puzzled by that uh, kind of shift over there and uh, it, it's, it's just interesting to me. And, you know, in Canada, we had uh, two kind of uh, random acts of violence that were called terrorism, and the government mobilized resources out the yin-yang to, uh, to deal with that, and yet you were going to have over 500 people uh, kill themselves in this province. Uh, what resources are we mobilizing and putting into suicide prevention today in this province? Good question. I mean, there are a number of initiatives. Uh, some of what I was trying to get at was Alberta Health Services as a health provider and the health provider in the province is 
taking measures to ensure that everyone who works for them has awareness and understanding of the issue and, and the ability to make sure that every door is the right door. If you run into an EHS staff member, that person will at least have an indication of what you're speaking of and if there are risks of suicide. So on that level, there's definitely continual improvement desired and targeted by AHS. So there, there's that. There's uh, initiatives of combining with the school board, having, having counselors work in the school system. There's more and more work on understanding geriatrics and the aging population as well. Beyond that, I have to see what happens. We have a new government and a lot of funding does depend in this province on who's in charge and how they wish to allot the money. So um, some of the preventative measures that the World Health Organization suggests include um, training of non-specialized health individuals, meaning maybe someone who isn't a social worker or a psychologist or something like that, but training them to be able to uh, notice and manage suicidal behavior. And so in doing so, that increases the resources um, without needing a lot of further training. So. Um, without needing someone to go through all the years of graduate school to be a social worker or something like that. So allowing that kind of uh, representation of people who know how to manage those behaviors, who might not necessarily be in a clinical role, but who can still help out that way as well. Mm -hmm. My next, oh, my name is Jerry Mandel. Um, I'm a product of my father committed suicide when I was 12 years of age and I found him. Big deal, he beat the hell out of me every day. Uh, we as three children were quite happy that he was gone. Now don't all look shocked because that's how it was. Uh, but you know, do we not have the right to do what we want with our own bodies? I have a friend with terminal cancer in the hospital. And he says, I'm not going into a long-term facility to be fed like a baby, be treated like a baby, so I will take my truck, truck out on the highway without a seatbelt on and drive it as fast as I can and hit a big, sturdy pole. Do I rock the boat in talking this way? Do we not have the right, no government, no preacher is going to tell me how I'm going to end my life. Hey, I appreciate the comment. And <clears throat> it is something that is being currently addressed by the government. They are looking at shifting legislation towards right to die and euthanasia and physician-assisted death. So that is in the works currently. And as a staff member of AHS, when the legislation rolls out, we will work with that legislation. We will respect the legislation as it, as it applies. So I believe it's up to the individual to determine what they wish to do with their own life. And a lot of the suicide that we've been talking about, particularly today, is more the preventable, the one that we wish to prevent because it's being caused particularly by stress, mental health issues, and in most cases, people who, when there is a successful intervention, they're satisfied with that intervention having worked. So not speaking to the euthanasia, but when that legislation shifts, we will shift with it. 
I'm Gail Duncan. I'm just so totally impressed with what you've had to offer today, your information and also the way you can answer questions or just like, like that. Very, just really awesome. Uh, a suggestion I'd like to make is the University of Texas has a website called Be The One. And it is extraordinary for information and is also extraordinary as to what we can do for people to help them uh, prevent killing themselves. And my other comment is um, a person who has survived suicide can be charged with murder by the police. And so we need to think of that too. Like, what if I do survive and I can be charged? Thank you. I don't know that that still stands. It was at one point. So I'm not sure if that still stands as, as a rule of law that you will be charged if you're a, a suicide survivor. These days, uh, I do get to work closely with the police force. And you know, maybe contrary to traditional image, they're, they're more sensitive. They're trained. Because they also have that power to certify. They have the power to take people and get them to help. So. I've been very impressed with some of the young officers I've worked with because they have actually done wonderful suicide interventions, assessed the person effectively, and, and brought them in with no further consequence. They, we don't want to penalize people who are already in pain. Um, on that note, if you go to the suicideinfo.ca website, I believe they have an FAQ section, and that was one of the questions. And I don't remember whether or not it was illegal, but I do know that they said it's illegal to coach somebody. And so that part, you definitely could be charged if you're encouraging someone to do so. So, But um, go to the website, check it out, because uh, there was a blurb about it, and I couldn't remember it all. So it'll be better able to tell you. Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, my question relates a little bit to the first question that Tad asked uh, about uh, if you're all poor, you can be poor together and be happy. Uh, so my question actually relates to inequality. So have you noticed that you, you, your records went back uh, five or six years? Uh, what about further back, were, were there still about 11 per 100,000 that was killing themselves? Do, do you know about that? Or so as in inequality becomes more widespread, does that contribute to the suicide rate jumping up? Here we go. I'm not entirely sure if there's a, a correlation there. Um, I do know that if you go to Statistics Canada, it goes all the way back to 1950. And uh, also the stat from the World Health Organization says that it's increased in the last 50 years by 60% globally. So something is changing. I'm not entirely sure if it's inequality or what. I'd have to look further into the, re the resources there, but something is shifting. Something is changing. And just to add to that, I and generally, if a person has an expectation of a certain, say, a standard of living, and life is not meeting that expectation, when reality and expectation have a large gap, that's where you're going to find a lot of pain for people. So that asks either individuals to adjust their expectations or risk things like depression. Uh, 
So I, I think it could have a, a well, it could have an influence. A lot of people are raised with that concept of the American dream of being able to achieve and establish themselves, and if you work hard, you'll be rewarded. Yet, by all indication, middle class in Canada is rapidly shrinking. That's not overly satisfying for many, many people. Terry Shellington, thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, it just strikes me that a piece of this has not been named. Uh, and that is that uh, we speak as though uh, suicide is an active thing, but uh, many of us observe that uh, some take their lives in passive ways, you know, through uh, uh, alcohol abuse or through refusing to go to the doctor or the variety of ways in which uh, taking your life seems to be a passive thing and it is maybe much more difficult for people around to, to deal with because it's unstated and, uh, and a little bit mysterious. Would you care to comment? Now you have me thinking out loud. So, yeah, of course it can be a passive thing. And I suppose that's where it's important for every individual who connects with a person is to try to recognize this, to say and address it directly. You know, when you drink this much, are you trying to kill yourself? Is this the plan? And to make it an open subject, yeah, certainly there's passive suicide. Okay, this will be the last question. Uh, I actually have uh, several questions, but both hopefully short, but also can be expanded to very long, so just toss it out here. First is, um, you had a wonderful presentation on Lance Trump, I'm sorry, Lance Trump. Um, but I sort of sense it's more like a funeral. Pretty sad, okay? It's pretty sad, your presentation, in both of you talk in a mood like a, like a funeral, right? But you also admit both of you are social worker. But social workers are, to me, um, more like a doctor instead of from somebody from a funeral home, right? So that will be more positive. So maybe just put into the picture here, should we observe the whole phenomenon of suicide as a disease rather than something like a disaster, right? Okay, so this is one. Number two is, do you think suicide is a social problem or individual problem. You first admit it's a social problem. Then when you're talking about the cause, it's all about DNA, individual issues, then it becomes individual problems. So it got mixed. So I'm a little confused here. Well, to me, it seems like if you're a doctor and looking at a patient, looking at the symptom is not enough. You like to okay. determine the let's, cause of it. It's just my comment. Yeah, let's yeah I'll, I'm just going to finish all these together because all linked. We're running out of time and we need to have time for them to respond. Well, I <laughs> no, we'll have an answer. It's interesting that you say uh, we talk like we're at a funeral and Adam was saying they picked the smiliest counselor at AHS to come talk about this. <laughs> and so we weren't entirely sure how to approach this. It's a very serious subject. It's touched some of you personally, and we would never, ever want to negate the seriousness of that. Um, but we wanted to also end the, the presentation on the note of hope and resources and prevention and things like that. Um, so hopefully that comes across in it's not completely <laughs> 
a funeral. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to add. Sure. I mean, adding to the tone. Even the way we discuss suicide, often when I'm doing an intervention around suicide, you're going to hear me slow down my speaking, s speak quietly or softly, because these are all factors that, that assist in confronting the issue, because it, it is challenging for people. And I am one of the smilier therapists in the clinic. I tend to walk around with a grin, so I did adjust it slightly for the audience, I admit. Now, whether or not it's individual or social, it's a great question. And part of it, the difficulty in answering is truly the whole field is relatively new. How long have we been studying psychology? I mean, yes, the Greeks were doing it, but in this level of detail, it's new. We don't even truly know the exact pinpoint cause of depression. And since that's what's leading so many people to suicide, we can't say exactly what's doing it. But sociologically, we look at how it's increasing over the last 50 years, and that seems to indicate something about our globalized society is increasing stressors is increasing the pressure, is doing something to the individual. And perhaps there is that, that continued breakdown of the collective, of traditional cultures, of collective being, and that reversion and idolization of individuality, which can also be challenging, because that same individuality can lead to isolation, and that isolation is dangerous. Join me in thanking our speakers, Mackenzie Becker and Adam Greaves.